For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, we are reminded that everything that happens in the life of a believer can be used by God for good. Let's join Pastor Bob now with a message entitled, It's All Good. Master, we uh, are here before you. Blank canvases for you to paint upon today. Blank pieces of paper for you to write your masterpiece on today. Like our brother Job, we treasure the words of your mouth more than our necessary food. So thank you for ordaining this moment in time. You know the panic going through my mind of how am I supposed to remember everything I said the first time. Thank you for reminding me that I didn't say it the first time, that it was you. So I'm just humbly asking for words more than my own. And I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us today. I pray that somebody's nose dive will be absolutely brought to a stop today. And, and someone who's been feeling hopeless and helpless would walk out of here filled with hope and confidence. And to this, we uh, yield ourselves today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just teaching one verse today. I'm a word guy, so we are going to dissect it. We're going to look at verb tenses. We're going to do everything that we can do to see. It is a very misquoted and misunderstood and misapplied verse, though lots of people are familiar with it. And it's Romans 8.28. Part of the difficulty in the misapplication frankly, lies with the King James Bible (laughs) and even the New King James Bible, which says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And it leaves out the most important understood word in in the best Greek texts, which is the word God. And the New King James and the King James make it it's misleading in that it makes it sound like the things are working themselves for good, sort of an Oprah-ism. You know, oh, don't worry, honey, it's all for the good. Like the universe is kind and everything's working for good. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches the universe has fallen apart and is going to be replaced. And to be fair, the other most common translation of this verse I'm saying this because you might want to take notes in your Bible if you have one of these translations, is the NIV. And the NIV gets the word God in there, good for them, but they leave out the word together. They leave out half of the verb. And I think the verb is the most important part of this sentence. So the NIV says, God works all things for the good of those. But it leaves out that works together which is the Greek verb that's used here. We'll look at that in some detail. New American Standard is the closest, um, and it picks up 
those things that there's love. But here's the difficulty. It's about verb tenses. Verb tenses are really important. It can change the meaning. It can take a black and white scripture and make it full color HD. So we will look at that today. And I've asked Dave to put up on the screen sort of my expanded translation of what the, um, if you could render it, Greek is hard to translate into English. English is a really watered down language. Um, but if you could take all of the understood definite particles and the verb tenses, that's pretty much the way that it would read. And, uh, but you can use whatever translation that you have. You just might want to take some notes. And I put my website down at the bottom because there are study notes and a longer version of this study and 700 in-depth Bible studies and a bunch of music on there if you want to ever want to access that. Two rabbit trails before we wade into this. One of them, Donald Barnhouse is the first guy that I ever commentated, the first guy that I ever say, he said, notice that it says we know that God is working all things together, not we see all things God is working together, or we feel. And that's important, because I can promise you that the truth, and this is true, this is true whether you believe it or don't believe it, it's still true. It is one of the most astonishing comprehensive verses in the whole Bible. It's one of the most stabilizing verses in the whole Bible. And I'm thankful that it's true even if I don't believe it because I haven't believed it a lot of times in my life. Feelings are not scientific instruments. They don't measure reality, but if you're really an emotional person like I am and hyper-analytical, the way you feel is the only truth that you know sometimes even if it's wrong. And I can promise you that the truth of this scripture isn't going to feel true sometimes. And I can tell you that not only is it not going to look true a lot of the time, most of the visible evidence is going to be contrary to this verse. If you're looking for visible evidence for reinforcement, this whole story of the Bible should tell us that you just got to, that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Because we can be fooled. Second rabbit trail about this, it has to do with the verb tense, the verb working together, one word in Greek, but it's in the present indicative active, if you even care. But here's what that means. It means that at any given moment in time, this is happening for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. No exceptions. This is unfolding every sequential moment of your life and my life. Um, and so I would say that not only is it a statement, but it's a promise, because that means that tomorrow it's gonna also be true. And when I get that unexpected missile that comes out and blows up my life, it's still gonna be true. And when the plot line takes a completely different direction than I was expecting, it's still going to be true. Any given moment in time, it's true. So I'm going to call it a promise. It's not just true right now. It's going to be true tomorrow. But here's the sticky wicket. It's a conditional promise. And it doesn't apply to everyone, no matter what Oprah says. <laughs> and it tells us 
thankfully, it tells us who it applies to. And we'll look at that in some detail. It applies to those who are loving God, present, active, participle. I love participles. <laughs> present, active, participle means that those who are in that posture in their lives of loving God. And those who are the called, definite article, the, before the word called, the called uh, according to his purposes. I always circle the word his. If you're just living your life, fulfilling your dreams, this doesn't apply to you. Till those dreams are surrendered to God's purposes, here's the cool thing. You can just be flaky for your whole life. I'm an expert at that. And then come to the conclusion, you know what? God should be driving my bus, not me. And he, it's an amazing thing, but it's almost like he works retroactively. Well, of course, he knows the end from the beginning. Those people that are rebellious, that are breaking your heart right now, he knows the day they're going to repent. And there's a point at which you will see that even this time of rebellion is something that he will use for good. So, it is a promise, it's an astonishing promise, it's bigger, than, it's bigger than your brain and my brain can take in. And that's why I think most of us don't believe it. But usually we don't believe it because we don't see it happening and we don't feel that it's happening. So let's take it apart, piece by piece. And I'll start with the word God. The best Greek manuscripts have in brackets, hotheos, before this text meaning that it's understood, especially plopping this verse right out of Romans chapter 8, which is the most hopeful chapter in the whole Bible, I think. Popping it right out of there, the whole chapter has been about what God's doing. Our, the benefits of us being in him and, and the, how active he has been in our lives. So it's understood that God is the one who is working together all things. Let's talk about that for a minute. It's important. It's, I think it's critical. If you're going to have any peace of mind, it's critical to see that God is the one in charge of your life. You are not in charge of your future if you have given your life to him. That's all on him. Your job is to not fight him. My job is to obey what he says and to trust him like we sang. But he's the one that's in charge. And as the doorman, Hannah Whitehall Smith uses that phrase that, you know, God is the doorman. And nothing gets into my building as his child but what he will allow in there. And it's important for me to see, okay, of course, that could be really scary if you don't know him. I know for sure, because I know your pastor, I know that he talks a lot about God's heart because everything depends on God's heart. Whether or not you believe in God or not is not as important as what kind of God you believe in. If you believe in God as your butler, then basically you're God. And we, and we like that until we see the results of it. Don't we? So it's important to see that he's the one, I, the phrase I use is he's the one driving my bus. And I need to remember that because it's not going to look like that all the time. There are times it's going to look exactly like someone came in and kicked God out of the driving seat, and now they're driving your bus. And that's just simply not true. 
There is a great companion verse for this. I'll give you the reference. Ross told me he's just been teaching in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 1.11, which in talking about God says, God who is always working out everything according to the purpose of his will. Do you believe that? I would say you probably don't all the time. And that's why we need this verse. That's why we need it, because the visible evidence, like I said, is going to contradict the truth of this. God is working together. And I put up there, now and always. It's that present indicative active thing, meaning that at any given moment, including here, it, you don't know how thrilling it was when I looked a few folks in the eyes this morning. One guy has never been here before. His life is crashing and burning. He walked in here mad at God because he was so hurt. And then he came up afterwards and he said, there could not possibly have been a more perfect thing for me to hear. And I said, that does not surprise me. Because God was the one that drew you here because he knew you need to hear this. And you not only need to hear it, you needed to know that he brought you here so you could hear it. He, that means he's involved. That means he's invested in what right now looks hopeless to you. The verb is just so important that at any given point in time, God is working together, all things. So if you want me to give you the Greek verb so you can check me out, be a good Berean, uh, it's sunergeo, S-U-N-E-R-G-E-O. We get our word synergy from it. It means to fit things together into a design or a plan. The example that I used um, earlier was baking a cake. Not that I know anything about baking a cake. I just know this. If you take a big spoonful of raw flour, it won't taste anything like a cake. If you take a big spoonful of a raw egg, it won't taste anything like a cake. But that's because it's not a cake yet. Those are ingredients that at one given point in time are gonna taste exactly like a cake. And that's our problem. Working together, fitting into a plan. We just, folks, we cannot judge the whole plan by isolated incidents, we can't. I don't say very many wise things, but this is a wise thing, so you might wanna write it down <laughs> so that I get credit for it after I die. We learned it when I taught in my church, when I taught uh, the book of Job. We learned this. All disappointment with God is premature. All of it, folks. No exceptions. And I would ask for a raise of hands, but I'll bet you every single person would raise their hand that at some point in our lives, we've been disappointed with God. Things didn't work the way we thought they were going to work. It's really important that we see, even when bad things happen, even when a sequence of bad things happen, that we see that as simply an ingredient. Yeah, it doesn't taste like cake. Actually, it stinks right now. It tastes terrible. Don't worry, it's not a cake yet. He's not finished. I read a really interesting book. I have to admit, I didn't like the guy's first book. 
But he got me with the title of his second book was A Few Things I've Learned Since I Knew It All. <laughs> I'll read a book, but you know, with that kind of a title. His name is Jerry Cook. And he, he nailed this for me. The perfect illustration of why my life doesn't look like a plan. Here's what he said. We see our lives like watching a parade through a knothole in a fence. We can't see the whole parade. In fact, we have trouble, especially at my age, with selective total recall, we have trouble remembering what just went by. <laughs> and we're clueless about what's coming. And I'll tell you what's worse than being clueless about what's coming is we guess. And then when it doesn't happen, we think somehow God has failed us. God sees the whole parade as his parade. We're just looking at a knothole in the fence. You do know that if you see a pile of elephant poop, that probably the elephants just went by. But I tell you, folks, and I, I'm saying this because it's funny, but I've had things happen to me where my most cherished dream came true, and in one day, it turned into my worst nightmare. And not only my worst nightmare, it turned into the nosedive of all nosedives of descending, sequential, horrible, unexpected things. Didn't look anything like God was in control. But you know what? He's always in control. And that's true whether you believe it or not. But I'll tell you what, for me, this is why this verse is so stabilizing for me. When I believe it, I have a different life. You can't threaten me. You can't scare me when I believe this. I used to play the old what-if game. You know, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And one night, back in my worry wart days, I was just, you know, tossing, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning when molehills turn into mountains, and I'm just, you know... <laughs> I'm like this, and I'm doing the I'm doing the what if game. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Then what do I do? And then what do I? And then when that happens, if I do the wrong thing, then well, then what's going to happen? And I'm playing this game, and very very clearly, God spoke to my heart one of the sweetest things He's ever said to me. He said, "Don't forget volcanoes and meteorites." <laughs> I swear. And so, in my Panic state, I said, oh, thank you. And I thought, wait a minute. I have no control over those things. And he said, see, you have no control over any of this. And it's purely immaterial if you believe what I say in my word. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if it stinks. It doesn't matter if it's horrible. It doesn't even matter if it's evil. It didn't touch you, except that I allowed it into your life, and I only allow things into your life for one reason, and that's to work my good. C.S. Lewis said it in a more brilliant way, although I, I just loved Jerry Cook's analogy of the knothole in a fence. You can get a lot of mileage out of that, because how many times have you thought, here's what's coming next, and it didn't happen that way, or just more elephant poop, you know, that's all you could see. But here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the reason that we cannot see the evidence of a plan in isolated events is we're too close. It's right here. 
we have to back up far enough to see it the way God sees it. And then the most astonishing thing dawns on us, it's all a plan. Every detail is a plan. And when it's right here in front of my face, and I'm just reacting to it emotionally, and then I'm analyzing, I'm extrapolating the feelings and the visible evidence and trying to project a future. Wrong, 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 wrong. Don't do that, Bob. God is so in control that it's hard to believe. All disappointment with God is premature. We're just judging the story way too soon. A lot of people that you love are in heaven right now. They know that's true. And that's why they're dancing and you're not. <laughs> it's that thing that all of us are going to say in that timelessness when we know as we are known, we're all going to say, I get it. Sorry. All those things I accused you of have just not paid attention. God, the agent that is at any given moment, now and always, right this minute. That's why some of you are here today, because you needed to hear this. I couldn't have thought this up. God had to tell two servants of God, I want, I want this study to be taught today, so that thrills me, because that means he's up to something. So I'm going to ask you, as we pick apart the next part, what does all things mean? It means without exception. Seriously, come on. See, the way my brain works, I right away thought of four things that couldn't possibly, that couldn't possibly work for good. We'll talk about my list. You may have a, one of your own. All means all, folks. Nothing excluded, without exception. All means all. And you know what that has to include? That has to include bad things. There was a time in my life where a, a man who had a lot of power, uh, who had it in for me, told some lies that I will never, probably ever escape. This was like 30 years ago. They're still affecting my life. And I remember when that happened, I was so stunned. I was stunned not just that somebody who's supposed to know better did that. I was just stunned that God let him do it. And I was mad. I mean, it may be the only time I've really been spinning mad at God. I was so mad I was crying. I was screaming. I wasn't stamping my foot, but sort of maybe inside I was. Because right after I got over the erroneous belief that if you are in God's will, nothing bad will happen to you. If you think that way, that is not true. For a lot of people in the Bible, nothing bad happened in their lives until they were in God's will. <laughs> so it just took study in the Bible to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. These people are in God's will and all sorts of bad stuff is happening. So then I shifted over to, I, I think as an even worse belief, and I had help, I had somebody teach me this, that if a bad thing happened, you were supposed to believe that it was good. And they used this verse of all things, which is not what it's saying. So what, why I was so spitting mad was not just that God let this happen, 
but that the conversation went something like this. Lord, I don't know how in the world you expect me to think this is good. And he said, I don't. And I thought, what? He said, no, that's evil. That stinks. And I thought, wait a minute. You know it's evil, and you still let him do it? And he said in that comforting voice, he said, but I'm not done yet, son. And he said, I promise you that the reason why he did it and the reason why I allowed him to do it are two different reasons. He did it because he's a jerk. (laughs) I allowed him to do it because it's an ingredient that I am going to use to work good. So do you see how just believing this takes a fraidy cat like me, who's scared to death of people, and makes you feel invincible? And instead of worrying about what if, or what if they do this, or what if they become president, or blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I didn't mention any names. I'll just tell you what God tells me. He says, so what? He said, aren't I still God? Aren't I still in charge of your life? Well, technically, yes, I guess you are. No, no, seriously. It's important. I'll tell you, I'll tell you when it's the hardest. When all my dreams crashed and burned and my heart was just ripped out without an anesthetic and then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It's when that sequence of bad things happens, that the lies flow like wine. The devil will be right on your case saying, you call yourself a Christian. If you were really a Christian, this wouldn't be happening. And that's just the lie straight from the pit of hell. It's not wrong to think it's bad, if it's bad. God knows whether or not it's bad, but that's not even the point. The point is, is it an ingredient that our big, unconquerable, powerful, all-wise, all-loving God has allowed simply for the fact of working a good thing? So get over the thing. Pray for me that I'll get over the thing of worrying about what if. You know, all God has to do to stop me, he just whispers, volcanoes. Because I look right out my window at a 12,000-foot-high volcano. I would be vaporized if it went off. It's just not bigger than God, folks. I don't care what it is. So the all things means all. Could that possibly include my mistakes? Because I've made big ones. I may have made bigger mistakes than anybody in this room. And when I start having hope, because God knows my heart, he knows I want to live for him. When I start having hope, the devil paints this picture of God saying, Bob, I would love to bless you, but dude, you just really screwed up. And there's nothing I can do. That is also a lie from the pit of hell. If you have dealt with your sin, and I have dealt with my sin and our mistakes, Properly. Can God, by the way, God will forgive us because he said so. Forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences. 
Because God may forget, but people don't. And you don't forget, and the devil doesn't forget, and he's got videos. <laughs> but can God use it for your good? Well, the most obvious answer to that is, if you, if you do a stupid enough thing that it causes you enough pain and is humiliating enough, the best thing that's going to happen is you're probably not going to ever do that again. That's a good thing, isn't it? You know how I learned at seven years old not to stick your finger in a light socket? <laughs> I'm laying there in the bathtub looking up at the wall, and there are these wall sconces that had no light bulbs in them. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if I stuck my finger in there. So I, I, let the, I let the water out of the tub. In fact, it's a good thing I did or it would kill me. But I'm standing there in my seven-year-old naked, dripping wet thing, standing on my tippy toes to stick my finger down that light socket, and nothing happened. And I thought, well, maybe you have to turn the switch on. So, <laughs> you know, it's all making sense now, isn't it? There's a Greek word for that. And, and there is. There's a Greek word for everything. It's a verb, and the verb is gnosko, and it means to know by experience. <laughs> so what if the only way that God can protect you from totally destroying your life is to let you do something so stupid that the pain will stick with you, and you will never go near that temptation ever again? Would that be a good thing? Absolutely. I'll give you one sequence. By the way, if you go to the website, you, this, the study's about 20 minutes longer than I'm going to be able to do today, so I'll go into a lot more detail. But I'll just give you four words to put in sequence. And there's many examples of this in Scripture, but the one that jumped out and hit me in the face, these four words, David, Bathsheba, Solomon, and Jesus. And they are all connected. Worst thing David ever did, you know, and he wasn't a straight-A student by any means, but God said, this is a guy after my heart, and he still did some stupid things. I find great comfort in that. Indirectly, he caused a murder just to cover his own lust. And that child of that adultery with Bathsheba died. God could not bless, David being the king, David being the person that the Messiah was going to come through his lineage. God just simply could not bless that. That child died. But guess what happened next? Bathsheba got pregnant, and Solomon happened next. And while she was still pregnant, before they had picked out a name, God came to them and said, I want you to know something. My nickname for this kid is going to be Jedediah, which means loved by the Lord. Because I'm going to love this kid like crazy. Name him whatever you want. They named him Solomon. But God's name for him was loved by the Lord. God, what's wrong with your memory? Don't you know who Solomon's mom is? Absolutely. Does that mean it didn't matter 
what David did with Bathsheba. No, it cost him. It affected the whole rest of his life. He was disgraced in the eyes of unbelievers as a godly man. Did God still work good? Incredible as it seems, God not only worked good by sending them a child who became the wisest man that ever lived besides Jesus. But if, when I was teaching Hebrews, we traced the biological line of Jesus from David. So, which means you can't trace Joseph's line because Joseph was not biologically involved. So when you go through Mary her, and you start at David, guess who you go through? You don't go through any of David's other kids. You go through Solomon. So Messiah would not have been born had Solomon not existed. If, you could, if we look at time, in, of course, God looks at it in a different way. Sequentially, can God work good? Well, if the only good he works is to teach and don't ever do that again, I would say that's worth knowing. But is it possible that he could not only do something good, but he could just... Have you ever looked up at God and say, you are showing off. I can't believe, I just can't believe what you just did. And he just says, Bob, you barely know me. You just barely know me. Is this good news? So what about other people's mistakes? Have you ever had a time where you, you were positive God was driving your bus and now all of a sudden somebody is making decisions that affect you? They're not praying about it. They could give a rip what God thinks about it. And now all of a sudden, your future depends on choices that this person is making. And, and it's like God is saying, hey, I used to be driving a bus, but you know, that guy's, have you ever felt that way? I have. And of course, the Bible's filled with the examples. <laughs> God had this deal with me one time when he was trying to prove this to me. He said, okay, son, son, I'm going to prove something to you. Who is the person that you don't trust the most? And I said, I'm afraid to answer. Because <laughs> he said, let's let them drive the bus for a while. He said, I will prove to you that nobody's in charge of your life but me. Because all my energy was going to try to prevent this person from having more control. God said, it doesn't matter. They only have whatever control I allow them to have, and I only allow it if I'm going to do something fabulous. So let me prove it to you. Okay, you know. <laughs> Joseph is such a great example. Joseph was, is my hero. Of all the characters in the Bible, there's really nothing bad said about him in terms of him doing the dumb thing. In fact, the depressing thing about Joseph's life is he did all the right things, and every time he did something right, somebody who did the wrong thing won. And Joseph suffered. And talk about a, a string of unpleasant, uncomfortable situations. It took 20 years. But if you trace back that story, of course, hindsight is so fabulous. <laughs> you get that here and you look back and you just go, oh, God, oh, God, you were so brilliant how you did that. Where if you're Joseph, you're going, I don't get it. Every time I do the right thing, I get punched in the nose. Maybe it's not worth it doing the right thing, like Asaph said in Psalm 73. 
And how Asaph pulled himself out of that was he said, you know, I pulled out of that. I just went in God's presence and I looked at the end of the road. And I realized, okay, it's not going to always be like this. Joseph got it after 20 years when you know the story. He's confronting his brothers, only now the tables are turned and he is probably the most powerful man on the face of the earth. They are totally at his mercy and they're terrified of the whole revenge factor. And he forgives them. But he forgave them for one reason, because he got it. He said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. That's life-changing, folks. Please remember, forgiveness, when you're forgiving other people, that's not an emotion. It's a choice. If you're waiting to feel it, it may never happen. You make the choice. How is it possible that a bunch of people can intend something for evil and God can intend it for good? That's his specialty. Isn't the cross the best example of that? All the demons in hell are dancing around. We won, we won, we won. And after three days, God says, not necessarily. God used the one moment of Satan's most obvious triumph and used that very thing to do the best thing that's ever happened on this planet. So does all things include other people's mistakes that affect my life? Absolutely, it does. What about Satan's strategies? Well, the cross is the perfect example of that, isn't it? Satan says, we won, we won, we won. What about Satan's strategies? I spent a lot of years of my life trying to get Satan to stop being Satan. <laughs> God, make him stop, make him stop, make him stop. Which I know he could do at any moment, and one day he will. But until then, Satan isn't succeeding temporarily because he's as powerful as God. Forget what you learned in the vampire movies. <laughs> he has to ultimately serve God's purposes. He is a created being. So Satan looks at the church that is so pure. Nobody knows. The early church, nobody knew anything. They didn't know how to do anything. But they were filled with the Holy Spirit, so they just did whatever he told them to do. And the church took over the world. And Satan said, we got to put a stop to this. So the greatest persecution, you know, under the Caesars, six million Christians were put to death in the most excruciating, horrifying ways you can imagine. Happening right now, actually, in our world. So it's not something new. But the persecution that chased people out of town was like kicking a campfire. And all the sparks fly out, and the next thing you know, there's a forest fire. And as they're being chased out of town, filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like God is saying, saying would you mind chasing some people over there? Because we don't have anybody that loves Jesus over there yet. So let me ask you this. Did you just get fired? And now you have to move? Does that fit into Romans 8, 28? And you felt like you were a good example and you should be rewarded and now it looks like Satan just came in and busted you in the chops? Hold that thought. Maybe he did. 
But the only reason that God allowed him to do it is God has a, a, a way to bless you and make you a blessing someplace else. It's worth, no, worth considering, isn't it? I love Isaiah 54. In Isaiah speaking, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't Isaiah. He, was, he had to do some really hard things, and nobody really appreciated his ministry. The only guy that had a prophet that had a worse ministry was Jeremiah. But there was a point at which Israel was trapped by superior forces with, with advanced technology, only it was instead of, you know, smart bombs, it was swords, which they didn't have. And they were panicking. And it was the most evil empire on the face of the earth that everybody knew worshipped Satan. So it was, look at the swords, look at the swords. And, and oh, yeah, but we got God. Oh, yeah, him. But... But they're inspired by Satan. And God says, you know what? I made him too. He's not bigger than me. Isaiah 54 says this. I'm going to read the end of the verse before I read the beginning and read it again at the end because it's just so fat. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, says the Lord. No weapon that is forged against you will prevail. I have made the arm that's holding that sword. I made the destroyer who right now is wreaking havoc. I, made, I am holding the subatomic particles and the atoms in his body in place right now. He's not bigger than me. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Please don't misunderstand that. It doesn't mean that nobody's going to use those weapons they are forging against you. That's another place I get hung up. All my prayers are, God, stop them from doing this. God, stop them from doing this. And he says, it doesn't matter. If they do it, that doesn't kill my plan. And they can't win. Because if they win, they'd have to be bigger than me. You see how the devil doesn't want us to think this way? He just gets us to emotionally react to the, either to the elephant poop that we're looking at through the knothole or to this unexpected thing, this person who all of a sudden is more powerful than we are and like holding a dime up to the sun, it blots out the sun and this person blots out God. The last thing on my four things of, yeah, but what about, you might have your own list, is impossible situations. I mean, officially, scientifically impossible. Because I used to believe that God could do absolutely anything as long as it was possible. And don't you know, looking at the Bible, God loves impossible stuff. He does his best work. He takes a vote. Okay, everybody officially agree? This cannot possibly be done. Booga booga. You know, and then he... He does it, and in fact, I have noticed this. One of the things that, when I was studying the life of Gideon, when I was teaching it, I discovered that God sometimes will take things that are already impossible and make them more impossible, just to make a point. It's like saying, God, I cannot possibly pay my bills with this much money. And God says, oh, yeah, I know what the problem is. You got too much money. God, 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 what accounting school did you go to? Look at this. This is my bills. This is the money. And God says, yeah, we got to dump some of that money. 
Didn't make sense for, to Gideon either. But there was one reason why God whittled those forces down to where nobody but God could win. And that's God wanted to prove that that was all you needed. It was him. What, maybe he's trying to prove that to you. I know he's trying to prove that to me. Every single thing in my whole life has changed in the last six months. I have no visible means of support. The only thing that hasn't changed is the only thing I need, <laughs> and that's God. And I know I'm right where he wants me to be. It's the manna thing. Oh, God, I've calced it all out. And he says, throw that thing away. God, I've calced it out, and there's no way I can, I can do this over the next six months. And he said, manna, Bob, manna, Bob. You have enough today. You'll have enough tomorrow. You'll have enough the day after that. You don't have to see where it's coming from. I promised you I would take care of you. And I've never broken one of my promises. And Romans 8, 28 is a promise. So God is constantly working together all things. I'm going to go a few minutes over, okay? Because I'm not even close to being done. God is the agent that is now and always working together, fitting into a plan, without exception, all things for the good. In Greek, if you're interested, the word good is anarthos, which means there's an understood definite article, meaning that it's just not just any good, it's the good. It's what God, by definition, calls good. And here's our problem with that in the scripture. We think we know what good is. But we don't. Can you look back and thank God for a bunch of prayers he didn't answer your way? I would have screwed up a lot worse than I did. Because we are smart enough to know, especially with a little experience under our belt, that good is not the same as easy. Good is not the same as comfortable. And it's not the same as fun. Always. The word agathos, that is translated good, does, it can mean pleasant, it can mean comfortable, but, but the one most commonly translated word for this word good is the word beneficial. So, are there things that are not fun and uncomfortable and not easy that are good? Ask any athlete. Ask any musician. Ask anybody that goes through boring finger exercises so they can play the piano with their eyes closed. If all of that discipline, the word discipline means training within restricting parameters. I hate that. But in Hebrews, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. But afterward, when you've been trained by it, it reaps a harvest of goodness and righteousness. Another promise. So are there things that are good that don't look good or feel good? Oh, yeah. You have to give them time. Discipline's one. Waiting is one. I hate that. I just, it's like, God, just say no. Don't tell me to wait. You know what I mean? But the Bible says that those who are waiting on the Lord will renew their strength. 
And I think sometimes the good stuff that happens while we're waiting is more important to God than him being a vending machine that we stick our quarter in and get our goodies. The discipline of waiting is so important to be a person of God. Broken dreams and broken plans, things that you are absolutely positive were never going to change, and then one day they crash and they burn. My favorite quote about this is from Elizabeth Elliot, and she's got cred as far as I'm concerned. Well, she's in heaven now. She doesn't need any cred now, but I remember communicating with her once and sending her one of my albums. And she wrote back to me, which was really cool, because she was one of my heroes. And I was a hurting puppy. And here's what she said. She said, sometimes for God's will to be done, my will has to be undone. Know what I mean? So God is saying, are you willing to let me crash this plan if the choice is between your will and my will? Let me think of that, and I'll get back to you. Because we think we have pretty good ideas, don't we? So here's the conditional part of it. Two things. Those who are loving God, present active participle. I was talking with brother, another analytical brother who came up and talked to me, and he just justified my whole existence being hyper-analytical. Because he said, there's a difference between saying I love somebody and loving somebody. It's like the difference between saying I fish and I am fishing. And a participle, usually you find them with the word ing on the end of it. So when it's talking about those who are loving God, it's not really even talking about whether you're good at it or not, because most of us aren't. It's talking about a posture that you have of love towards God. And that makes the word love the most important word in this sentence. I'm going to go three or four more minutes, okay? And the word love of all the five or six Greek words for love, this is the word agapao, A-G-A-P-A-O. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with feelings. It has to do with choosing. It means to choose the best for someone. It's the kind of love that I call choice love. And you do that whether you feel anything or not. You do it whether they even know what you're doing. And it's the love that we are commanded to have for each other. And it's the love that God has for us, always choosing our best. So it's a posture that I have of loving God. Being in that state of loving God simply means, Lord, I, I'm your man. I say that every single morning. Before I even get out of bed, before I take the world on, I just say, Lord, I am yours. Sink or swim, lock, stock, and barrel, I am yours. This day is yours. Do whatever you want. And I will say, yes, sir. Now, if I ever get to the point where I actually live that out for 24 hours, I, I will be immediately taken right straight to heaven and I'll never teach here again. In John chapter 14, three times, Jesus told his disciples what loving him meant. And he used this word agapao again. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm absolutely amazed how many Christians I've met that see no connection between loving God and obedience. No connection whatsoever. 
But that is the ingredient in agape love. The word keep is a great word if I had lots of time. It's one of my favorite words because when you get, when you get a handle on a really fat Greek word, then you go find every scripture that it's in, and then the Bible just, it's like going from black and white to HD full color. The word is tereo, T-E-R-E-O. Here's what it means. It means to pay attention to watchfully. It means to treasure and to guard. And it means to comply. In fact, it's interesting. In Greek, the word for disobedience means to not pay attention. Every parent that can relate to that. But see, what he's saying is, if you have agape love for me, you want to know what I'm thinking. You want to know what I want to do. You're seeking my will before you're seeking your will. And that has to do with the second part of it is those who are the called, the ones that he's called according to his purposes. Which means if you're living for yourself, only consulting God when you need help, not realizing that you always need his help, and you're fulfilling your plans, this fabulous promise doesn't apply to you. The good news is that could change this minute. That could change by you and I simply hitting the dirt and say, saying, you know what, my posture from here on out is what you want to do, that's what we'll do. I am going to choose your will over my will. And hopefully you're going to work in me so that there's no contest. So pretty soon I want the same thing you want. And that will happen, by the way. By the way, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is not a threat. That's a promise. God says, look, if you love me, this is going to happen. So, astonishing, unbelievable implications of this conditional promise. A few folks I talked to after the first service just said, man, you were just reading my mail. Because every one of those things that I thought God was either totally ignoring me or he was mad at me. Those things have all been happening in my life. And I said, but he brought you here because he wanted you to hear these words that this, the story's not over. You can give yourself to him and surrender to his plans. And you know what? All these people were Christians. Have you ever had to surrender to the Lord, Mr. Christian and Mrs. Christian? Oh, Absolutely. And one dear lady said, you know, please pray for me. I know I'm going to forget all this stuff. And, uh, and I said, no, you won't. Because I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to pray that he will remind you, and he loves reminding us. But I said, you're here because he said, I want my dear daughter who has no hope right now. I want her to hear these words. So the same God that brought you here to hear these words is going to be with you tomorrow. And this is going to be true tomorrow if something totally unexpected happens. It's still going to be true. And if we believe it, it changes everything. It changes my whole perception of my life. And instead of praying, oh, God, make Satan stop, make Satan stop, or God, don't let them do this, or God, change this, God, change this, I just say, Lord, I am yours. Do whatever 
you want to do, whatever you want to let into my building, I, I am confident that that can't possibly happen unless you intend to use it for good. And I'm not going to let smutty face tell me otherwise. <laughs> good stuff, huh? Let's pray. Lord, I have way underestimated you. I'm ashamed that you had to convince me of this, that you had to go to extraordinary lengths to prove to me the simple fact that you're God and you're in control if I belong to you. But I will love you forever, Father, that you're willing to do that. You just couldn't stand it that I would get bullied and beat up and pushed around by the lies of my enemy. So thank you for this moment in time, Lord, that you brought me 1,000 miles to say these words to these people because you wanted them to hear it. So Lord, I'm trusting that the God who did that is going to be with them tomorrow. And is going to be with them when they get the unexpected grenade thrown at them. When the plot line goes in a different direction, that same God is going to be there reminding us that this is true, even if we don't believe it, it's still true. For those who have, Lord, been loving themselves more than they love you, choosing for themselves more than they choose for you, trying to fulfill their own dreams, I pray you would just bring that to a screeching halt. You won't force us, but I can feel you tugging, Lord, like you've done for me at their hearts to say, just give in. Stop fighting me. I only mean good for you. And just give up living for your own plans. You know what? God has better ideas than we do. Any given point in time, our God, our Daddy, is working together, no exceptions, every single thing for the good of we who are loving him and are the ones who are called according to his purposes. Thank you for that word, Lord. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.